Today, we're going to talk about card game design. Hey everyone, welcome to the 64th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore and tune in for Game Dev streams at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have an open community discord for the Game Dev Field Guide. You can find a link to that in the podcast description. Lastly, I just wanted to mention that today's episode topic was picked by the patrons. If you become a patron, you get to vote on episode topics, as well as some other small bonuses like a special Discord role and your just overall support of the show. So yeah, if you'd like to become a patron, there's a link to that in the podcast description. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners and it's meant to be like a 15 to 30 minute exercise to sort of reinforce the main points of the show it's a exercise to practice last episode's game dev challenge was to present a screenshot of a scene from one of your games or an existing one and describe the positives of the lighting with respect to the composition, the depth, the storytelling, the guidance, and stuff like that. If you'll remember, last episode was kind of a lighting primer, and I hope um, you learned like the basics of lighting and stuff that you could start to implement in your game, and I could see that for some of you, you absolutely did, and that is true for the winner of the episode 63 Game Dev Challenge, Mortem. Mortem's post says, Game Dev Challenge 63 submission from my game Idlecraft Brewery in the middle of development. The light here achieves a few big things. The window lights offer depth. They make the player feel like they are literally inside of a brewery. There's a center focus light that's a light focal point on the center of the brew house, which drives progression and gameplay. The corners are darkened. This is an attempt to do some storytelling. This room is the starting point of the game, and the poor lighting indicates potential for progression and improvements to the brewery. There's also a time progression element, and you can show this through the gameplay, or show the gameplay through the lighting, rather, because you have a specific time, like 100 days, to build a large brewery. And the changing light from the window is a good indication to the player of how much time is passing. Or it's a subtle indication that time is passing. And uh, yeah, I guess I was kind of mixing in my own comments with <laughs> Mortem's post. But yeah, this is a really great post uh, that breaks down kind of four things, the depth, guidance, storytelling, and gameplay, and the purpose of all the lights that are in the screenshot and how they affect each of those things. Mortem's post ends with 100% got the window lights idea from the most recent episode, so many thanks for that tip. If you don't remember from last episode, we talked about how just adding a little bit of light rays leaking in from a window makes it feel like there is an outside, even if you don't have an outside modeled at all. It offers depth to the scene and makes the place feel like an actual place. I really like the thought that Mortem put into each of the purposes of the lights. 
and it just goes to show that lighting truly is an art form. It's not just making things brighter so you can see, it's telling a story, it's guiding the player, it's informing the player. It can be used for so many things, and I think Mortem's post does an excellent job showing this. So congrats to Mortem for winning the Game Dev Challenge for episode 63. For episode 64, I'd like you to design a card game archetype and include a few sample cards that help define the layered synergies and strategy that that archetype has. Later in this episode, we're going to talk about archetypes, and it might not be the thing that you think it is right now when you're hearing it. By a card game archetype, I don't mean uh, a game archetype as a whole, but I mean a very specific thing within a, heart, a card game, and we're going to talk about that uh, later today. So yeah, I would encourage you to keep listening to the episode to find out what that is. With the game dev challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is going to be a look at card game design, and specifically I mean card game design for digital card games from an indie dev standpoint. As with physical card games, there are some things that you have to consider that don't really apply to video game card games, and honestly, it's not something I have expertise in. But stuff just off the top of my head are things like the total number of cards is going to be limited somewhat by your printing cost, right? There's a physical element to physical card games, and so you have maybe a few more constraints than you would with a digital one. Printing cost isn't really something that matters at all with a digital card game. So yeah, I guess that's just one example of of why today we're going to focus on card game design specifically for video games. And there's something I want you to keep in mind while listening to the episode. There are many video games that aren't card games specifically, but do have card game mechanics. And I think the card game mechanic blended with other genres has a lot of power. And I hope after listening to the episode today, you also see this potential power in mixing genres with card games. But I want you to just keep that idea in the back of your head while you're listening today. It doesn't have to be explicitly a card game, it can be any genre with card game mechanics. So where should we start? Well I guess we should start with the strengths and weaknesses of card games. In my opinion, the biggest strength of card games is that they come with strong game design built in especially if you use one of the many templates, which we'll talk about later. But what do I mean by they come with strong game design built in? Well, I think card games offer the player tons of variance, choice, and replayability for a comparatively lower amount of work it would take to offer the same in a different genre. Like, as long as you have some solid backbone mechanics to support the cards, and you have a decent amount of cards, Think of all the interesting strategies, combinations, synergies, choices, and lucky moments that can come from that. If you think of your game design and that backbone I was talking about as a fun machine, then I would consider the cards as an input or fuel to the machine. And for the player, sometimes it's really fun just to see what putting different cards into the machine does. And because cards are relatively easy to make, I hope you can see how a small indie dev's either solo or team can put together lots of interesting content for a player using a card game design. And like I said, if you use a template, it has a lot of that good stuff already built in. But what are the weaknesses of traditional card games? Well, first, let's look at logistical weaknesses of a literally physical card game. Um, it's hard sometimes to have enough people to play. You have to make sure you have all the cards. You have to learn the rules 
and the presentation, you know, can be kind of bland sometimes. But if you think about it, being a video game really negates a lot of these weaknesses. And that's why I think card games work really well as video games. Having enough people to play, well, now you can play through the internet, so that's not really an issue. You don't have to worry if you're missing cards or pieces. We can explain the rules in a tutorial section, which is much more accepted in the video game market. And we can really bump up the presentation with nice visual effects. Sometimes I wonder why physical card games still exist, seeing as how the video game version improves on a lot of its flaws. But I think that just goes to show that the core strength of cards is that it's great game design. And it explains why physical card games themselves are still popular. Even with all those weaknesses that I mentioned, they still have tons of people playing. And I guess there is something to be said for the tactile touch of like actually holding cards and owning premium cards is nice and playing with people in person can be a lot better. But yeah, this isn't like an argument over physical card games or digital card games. I think they both are good. I just happen to know more about digital card games. Okay, now that I had a lame attempt at walking back an opinion that I know is going to rile some people up, uh, let's just move on. So I mentioned the templates of card games, and there's two that I want to talk about and mention, but really one that I kind of think is particularly good for indie devs. The first style or template is competitive card games. These are your Magic the Gatherings, your Hearthstones, your Pokemon TCGs. I think these kind of card games have a lot to like, and they come with a few basic ideas that are good game design built in. One that I particularly want to focus on here is resource cards, or some sort of resource system. Resource cards and resources in general are one of those built-in things to the template that are absolutely critical to how the game functions. In Magic or Pokemon, this would be the land and mana or energy card systems respectively. But basically it boils down to major actions like summoning a creature or attacking with a Pokemon. These major actions have a resource cost. And by tying these key actions to a single resource card or mechanic or system, you give yourself as a game designer a sort of control knob. This is especially useful for balancing the game because you have something to judge the value of a card against, that being the resource. Notice in Hearthstone, instead of having resource cards, you are given a set amount of mana per turn to use. This is basically the same as giving the player a set amount of resource cards and guaranteeing they are drawn, but either way I think this is a really smart move because I imagine that the designers always knew they were going to have tons of different cards. And they are probably thinking, well shoot, this can get out of hand quickly, so let's just make it a fixed amount of mana, that way we'll always be able to judge how strong a card is based on that. In addition, it's easier to teach. It's really easy to tell a player essentially, you have this much mana to spend on this turn, do the best you can with that budget. I think this is a really smart thing that Hearthstone does, and its mana system, its fixed mana system, is one of those things that's easy to learn but has a surprising amount of depth to it. So yeah, if you're going to design a competitive game, a competitive card game that is in this vein, I think the very first thing to nail down is how the resource system is going to work because it totally controls the pace, balance, and approachability of the game. Let's talk about the other template that I wanted to mention today, and this is the one that I think will be most applicable to indie devs. 
That template is the deck builder. A deck builder is a kind of card game that revolves around some sort of mechanic where the player chooses to add cards to the deck. And this add card to the deck mechanic plays out over the course of the game. It's not like you set up your deck prior to the game. It's part of the game. And thus, the player is able to build strategies and make their own luck. I think it works great for indie devs because unlike a competitive card game, it can be played single player and it's sort of a force multiplier when it comes to content. Let's face it, the multiplayer aspect of competitive card games is going to be a challenge for a lot of indie devs. First you have to build the multiplayer from a technical standpoint, then you might have to build AI that can also play the game competitively, and when the game launches you need to have a large enough player base to actually allow players to find matches. Multiplayer as an indie dev is tough no matter what genre you're going to do. But with a deck player, you can get access to the card game mechanics and you don't have to do multiplayer. A deck builder can be played single player, either asymmetrically against some sort of AI or other game mechanic, or against what's called a automaton in card games, which is kind of getting back into the physical card game space, but yeah, it's basically an AI that plays a deck builder. Maybe the idea of a deck builder would be easier to explain via an example. Let's talk about my favorite deck building game, Slay the Spire. I would call Slay the Spire a dungeon crawling roguelite with card based battles and deck building progression. The card based battles play out like a turn based RPG, but on your turn you don't have a menu with a list of options, you have a hand of cards and a limited amount of resources to spend those cards. You can do things like attack and block, or play spells that weaken your opponents, or even set up your next turn. Like I said, you have a fixed amount of resources, so you can only play certain cards depending on their cost. And the beauty of all of this, and what really makes the game work in my opinion, is you build your deck as you play. Every time you win a battle, you get to add a new card to your deck. This allows you to be extremely strategic in how you are crafting your playstyle. And due to the tons of synergies and raw amount of cards in the game, there is tons of content. Every time I play, I feel like I've crafted a truly unique deck. And I think Slay the Spire shows off another good thing about deck builders, especially for indie devs, is that they work excellently with roguelite mechanics. The whole idea of run-based gameplay works great with the idea of starting a new deck fresh and building it from scratch. Players love it, and from a technical standpoint for indie devs, it has to be one of the best ways to get the most content out of the work you put in, because all of the different combinations of cards and the procedural parts just mesh together and it really becomes a force multiplayer holy grail genre. Not to mention that it's super hot amongst players right now, meaning that the game is really marketable, and you can see why... I think if you're going to make an indie card game, I strongly, strongly suggest you do something in the roguelite deck builder genre. I think there's still plenty of new ideas to be explored and something people are still eager to play. Of course, if you're listening to this in 2023 or beyond, maybe they've reached their saturation point as all popular game genres do. But for now, they're really awesome and a win-win for both players and indie devs. Okay, so now that we've nailed down some templates and some basic ideas about card game features, 
I want to get into some specific tips I have for creating good card game mechanics. And I want to start this by maybe considering where the core fun in a card game lies. I think the core fun in a card game revolves around a few ideas, but one of them being breaking the game's rules. But in order to break the rules, the rules have to be well established. So I would say step one is to teach the rules so that the player then can break the rules. If you think about it, some of the most awesome moments in card games is when a player is able to make something work that seems like it shouldn't. Or something that's so mind-bendingly smart or lucky that it sort of skirts the rules. Or at least it breaks the spirit of the rules, but not the rule itself. You want to make a situation where the players are like, well, everybody knows you can't do that, until a player comes up with a strategy and they do do that, and you're like, whoa, that totally can make that work. Testing what you thought you knew about the card game is where the core fun for a player lies. You teach the basics so that the player can test those assumptions and come up with fun strategies. Sometimes you might even want to encourage breaking the rules. You could do this through unique card effects. Let's say it becomes sort of an established rule in your game that every card costs at least one resource to play. But then you introduce to the player a card that doesn't require any resources to play. It's a zero cost card. All of the sudden, new and exciting possibilities start to open up in the player's mind because a rule, in quotation marks, has been broken. Now obviously you need to keep the rule breaking balanced, you can't just have a chaotic game where every rule doesn't really mean anything. But yeah, I think if you just remember the spirit of the phrase, teach the rules, break the rules, and you remember to do that in a balanced fashion, I think you'll be right on track. So do you remember when I said as soon as you introduce the zero cost card, to the player, they're starting to think of all the ways they could use it. Well, they're probably starting to think of synergistic ways to use it. And I think identifying synergies is another way that card games can offer fun. And you want to make sure that there is a healthy ecosystem of synergies in your game. Both a mix of obvious and maybe not so obvious synergistic ways cards can be used. Let's imagine a card that's a monster or something that gets more powerful every time you play a card. If you have a resource system, which you should, the player might identify a synergy and say, okay, this works well with low resource cost cards, because presumably you can play more cards if they cost less, and the more cards you play, the stronger your monster gets. Well, once you introduce the zero cost card we mentioned before, hopefully the player has fun in identifying, wait, this works really good with that one monster that powers up whenever I play a card. It's basically a free power-up. And it's situations like that where the player strategizes and comes up with the synergies in their head that I think the fun lies. They know the rules enough to identify a basic strategy, and when offered a new card that sort of breaks the rules, they synergize and find a fun new strategy. And maybe they even find another strategy that synergizes with this one and starts to build a layer of synergies like a card that gives you more card draws, so hopefully you can get a few of those zero-cost cards in one turn. Now you have a grouping of synergized strategies, and that's where I want to talk about archetypes. Archetypes are sort of groupings of strategies that you introduce to your player to help them determine a playstyle. You may even dress this up with some narrative lore or something. This would be like hero classes in Hearthstone. The Warlock, for instance, can lose two life to draw a card. And there are a lot of cards in the Warlock archetype decks that play with this strategy. Either you're powering up monsters or setting up cool spell effects by trading your own life points. 
Thematically and narratively, this works well with the idea of a warlock. But it also, from a gameplay sense, keeps those synergizing strategies together, thus guiding the player to discovering these cool synergies when they pick the warlock class. And because it's guiding the player to those synergies, it's guiding them to the fun. Imagine if you just had every card and mechanic in the game at your disposal, you'd easily be overwhelmed and probably have a hard time picking out those multi-layer strategies. By restricting things to an archetype, you're helping the player find those synergistic strategies. I hope I don't have to say synergy strategies anymore because it's getting really hard, especially with the way I talk in botch words. Okay, for my last tip on card games, I wanted to just quickly talk about technical design. And I think I've mentioned a similar idea before in the episode about emergent game design, but I wanted to leave you with the thought that you should be designing these things to be abstracted and flexible. This is going to make the game easier to make and honestly easier to design. Here's an example. Instead of making 10 cards and writing specific code for which each of these cards should do, abstract them so you can group the cards together. Like have types of cards, that way you can reuse code and have a more flexible design. This might sound obvious, but if you design the game in this way from the start, you'll save yourself a lot of trouble. Abstract and compartmentalize. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have cards that can do direct damage. Well, it might be helpful from both a technical design standpoint and maybe like a gameplay organizational standpoint to group this family of cards into something called spell cards. Then let's say you want fire and ice spells. Well, instead of writing different code for each of those, just give your cards an element variable. Maybe some cards do debuffs. You can have a bool on the card that tracks if it's a debuff or not. If you design it in this way, you can have one card class that is flexible enough that it can handle all spell cards and separate them into their different elements and whether or not they're debuff cards and anything else. Not to mention how much easier it will be to explain to the player. Imagine if you didn't have this structure and every card just had really long card text that said its element and what it does and the debuff and what it does. Imagine writing code for every single individual card. This might be obvious to those of you with a code background, uh, but others might make that mistake and I know when I first started, I had no clue about the idea of abstraction and compartmentalizing things like this, and I definitely would have made this mistake of writing specific code for each individual card in the game. So yeah, if you didn't know that already and you want to make a card game, just remember to set up that abstract structure and try to build a flexible system that can contain all of your cards. Let's recap the things we learned today. Today's episode was about card game design, specifically card games as video games. Remember we talked about the strengths of card games, which is that they have variability, replayability, and good game design built in. Remember that there are card game templates that come with a lot of structure that will help your initial game design. We mentioned two templates today, competitive card games and deck builders. Remember the importance of the resource system. It's important to implement some sort of resource system so that you can control the pace and balance of the game. Deck builders, in my opinion, are the best template for indie devs. This is because they can be played single player and merge perfectly with roguelite mechanics. See Slay the Spire for a good example of this. 
we talked about the idea of teaching the rules and breaking the rules. And remember to do this with good game balance in mind. Finding synergies is one of the things that, that's at the core of what makes a card game fun. And your card game should have a good ecosystem of obvious and hidden strategies. Or obvious and hidden synergies, rather. Group these synergy layers and strategies together with archetypes. Archetypes help guide the player and make it easier for them to find those strategies in all the noise. And lastly, remember to build a flexible structure for your card games, a structure that can fit all of your card ideas and make it a lot easier to build and for players to understand. So yeah, I think that's going to do it for me today. Thank you for listening. I hope you're walking away with this with some tips uh, that you can implement in your next card game. If you think I missed anything about card games or just want to talk about it more in general, you can reach out to me on Twitter at underscore Zachavilli underscore or go on over to our community Discord. There's a link to that in the podcast description. With that, I think I'm going to sign off. I have been Zachavelli, a.k.a. the master of Slay the Spire synergizing strategies, and I'll see you guys next time.